A very, very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman. This is the Sunday Synthesis Podcast with me, Howard Feldman, and of course, Dr. Anton Myberg. We took a break last week. During that time, summer seems to have arrived. It's almost like it's the summer edition uh, podcast today, and that is absolutely awesome. It's been raining in Johannesburg. The air is clear. It is absolutely magnificent. And I even think that from a COVID perspective, it's looking Positive. Well, no, we don't use the word positive. It's looking good, isn't it? Dr. Anton Marburg, good morning. Did you have a good break? We, we missed you last week. Good morning. We had a good break last week. Got a good time to refresh. As you correctly mm -hmm. say, the numbers are looking very good at the moment, and uh, we're in a very good space at the moment. Um, we're currently sitting on 235 million cases worldwide with 4.8 million deaths and 212 million cases resolved. The United States has 44.4 million cases with 719,000 deaths. India, 33.8 million cases with 448,000 deaths. And South Africa has 2,905,613 cases with 87,753 deaths, 1,306 new cases in the last 24 hours, a 4% test positivity rate. There are currently 2,011 patients in hospital in Kauteng with COVID of which 361 are in ICU and 182 are vaccinated. And yesterday with the VUMA outreach vaccination mm. program, 107,000 people were vaccinated, which is quite a market increase from the Saturday before over 20, 30,000 more than previous Saturday. Okay, so things are looking good. What is new in the world of COVID? So there are lots of new things going on in the world of COVID. A study came out this week by Merck and Ridgeback, an investigational study on an oral antiviral drug called Molnupiravir, which was a drug which was initially developed for as an antiviral for influenza, but it's been found to target an enzyme on the virus that helps stop the virus make copies of itself. It's very different to the vaccine, which works on the spark protein. It's been shown to reduce the risk of hospitalization or death by approximately 50% compared to that of placebo and is given twice a day. It hasn't yet been authorized by the FDA, but is looking very promising at the moment. There's also a lot of talk about monoclonal antibodies, Casavirinab. Oh, before, before, you, before, you, before you carry on, can I just ask you a question about that? that so that is to be used in the event of somebody being diagnosed with COVID-19. It's a, it's Once a someone's being diagnosed as right. a treatment, yeah. Okay, okay. Cool. Whether or not it will hold its own water down the line, we don't know. Mm. You know, there were lots of talk initially in the old days of Tamiflu being the miracle drug for mm. influenza, mm. and then essentially it only decreased the hospital stay by about one to two days. It wasn't the miracle drug it was sought out to be, so hopefully we'll get some good results from this drug. There's also okay. other drugs, the monoclonal antibodies, and casarivimab and imdivimab, which have been shown to decrease the risk of COVID-related hospitalization. The FDA is also looking at authorizing a half-dose booster of Moderna for COVID-19 vaccine. So instead of giving, they're going to give one Moderna plus another Moderna, and the third dose, they'll give half a dose. So what they're doing is they're giving 100 micrograms of each Moderna, and then the third dose, they're giving a 50 microgram uh, boost, whereas the Pfizer dose is actually a 30 microgram dose. So it's quite different to that of the Moderna, but they're looking into that to see if that's going to help as a boosted dose. And then they're also looking into vaccines in five to 11-year-olds. Obviously, we haven't got there yet. We haven't even got out to our 12-year-olds mm. yet. But the issue is not actually the size of the children. It's the children's innate immune response and the fact that they've got robust immunity. 
and they're looking at giving children a 10 microgram injection. So in other words, the Pfizer injection is a 30 microgram. They're looking at starting them off on a 10 microgram injection. That's the five to 11 year olds. And that's currently under development and currently under research. And it's looking very positive at the moment. And the last Doesn't thing- Doesn't that sound like a homeopathic? You know, when you have these little micro thingies that you pass through a glass of water and you, 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 you know, seems very low. Yeah, so the, 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 the children's innate immunity and the children's immune system are very small compared to that of an adult. And we give much smaller doses in children. Um, okay. The other new drug is a drug called fluvoxamine, which is actually an antidepressant, which is called SSRI, which is looked at being given twice a day to help work on COVID itself as well. And that works on what we call mast cell degranulation as well as platelet function. It's also been shown that it might help with someone who's been diagnosed with COVID. So, so there's lots of new things in development. That's so interesting. What about people who are really on this? What's it called? This SSR? This. So, so it's actually not a. It's not a well prescribed um, antidepressant that's being used, and it's not that you can give any other antidepressant. They've only studied this one, and the treatment would be for about ten days. It's not a continuous long-term treatment. So even if you are on other anti-SSRIs, other medication, you still could have this treatment for a 10-day oh. period. Okay. Very, very interesting indeed. Where are we in South Africa with, with booster shots? Lots of questions uh, from people asking about, especially uh, medical workers, frontline medical workers, or any medical workers who had the Johnson & Johnson already now, I think about eight months ago. So people getting a little bit concerned about this. So we're currently everywhere and we're currently nowhere, if that makes any sense, because we know the data is showing that healthcare workers definitely need to have boosters, whether or not it's a Johnson & Johnson or a Pfizer, it's a definitive thing. We do need the boosters. We're now over eight months down the line since we've got our, our first Johnson & Johnson shots. Um, mm -hmm. My preference still would be if you've had a Johnson Johnson to have a Pfizer because of the previous AstraZeneca study that showed AstraZeneca with the Pfizer showed a very robust immune response and a good immunogenicity. Um, but we actually got to wait for the government to give the go ahead for the boosters to be given. I think it will happen, but who knows when. Would it be helpful for people who have had the vaccine about eight months ago or so to go for antibody testing, to just to understand where no. they are? No, because we still haven't got an answer from the government when we're going to get the boosters. And if you go for an antibody test now and you're only getting the booster in two or three months, it really defeats the whole purpose. But we mm. do know that if you've had the, the, the vaccine eight months ago, you definitely chew for a booster. You don't have to do it. It's a waste of time and a waste of money to do antibody tests at this point. Right. But, but it must be a concern given the fact that we follow Israel and we see that they're very much ahead. It was around about this time that they started seeing new cases developing because they realized people needed a booster. If we don't get yeah. our very people who are facing COVID patients, even if our numbers are low, if we don't see, get them uh, supported and, and um, protected, we, we know we're going to head for a problem. It's, it's there for us to see. Yeah. Look, we, we know that the first and second wave was very different to the third wave. The third wave was predominated by the Delta variant, whereas the second wave mm. was the Beta variant. And we know that there's a 50% decrease in infection rate if you've had the vaccine, if you get the Delta variant. If you have been boosted over and above your, your primary vaccines, there's a two and a half less chance 
of you getting an infection. So it's extremely important to get boosted. It's extremely important for us to push for the healthcare workers to get their boosters. And then once healthcare workers have been boosted for people who are immune compromised, people over the age of 60, as far as I'm concerned, I think everybody needs a booster, but we've got to go by the government and what they put out in ICD. I mean, we do know that everyone is going to be due a booster. We have got the supplies. It's not like we don't have enough vaccine. It's now time for everyone to start moving forward and pushing for it to be done. Whilst we're on that subject, what about teenagers? So I'm still firmly of the belief that anyone over the age of 12 needs and should get the vaccine. This is not in lieu of somebody who's over the age of 60 who hasn't been vaccinated, but without like trying to sound a bit ridiculous, it's now October. If you haven't got your vaccine by now, what are you waiting for? Surely by now, if you're over the age of 60, you're over the age of 50, and you haven't been vaccinated, you're missing the whole point. So it's time now to vaccinate the teenagers. It's time now to get the 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, all these people vaccinated. The rumblings are that they're going to start the vaccines in the younger children, but they might start with the 16 to 18-year-olds first. And once they've done that and they've got a few of those sort of thousand of those kids covered, then they'll move down to the 12 to the 16-year-olds. I'm finding there's there's not a major rush from government point of view to, to immunize the younger children. They're still trying to push the uh, older people and the more immune compromised to get vaccinated, which I do understand. But if there's people that are wanting to be and the vaccination centers are empty, which they are at the moment, why do we not push this? And why do we not actually say it should be done now? Yeah, because well, that doesn't make sense to me. Why should any anybody who is over the age of 18 already has had ample opportunity to go and get vaccinated. If they're reluctant to do so, why should the younger than 18s be waiting around until they eventually decide, okay, well, maybe this Monday I'll go and get a vaccine? It it, it makes no sense. Especially since the FDA has given the go-ahead for over 12-year-olds to be vaccinated. It's not something that's, well, we've got to look at the safety and we've got to decide. We all know there are adverse effects and there can be severe reactions to getting a vaccination, and that's the truth, you know. They say there's maybe two in a hundred or maybe three in a hundred thousand people that can have a severe reaction to a vaccine. But there's also four in a hundred thousand people that can be struck by lightning if you go outside in the bad weather. So weigh up the risks and the benefits and the, the benefits far outweigh the risks of getting a vaccine. We know that it decreases your chance of severe infection and of hospitalization. And it's very, very critical at this point. Right, absolutely right. So let's hope that that we can get the teenagers vaccinated, the healthcare workers get their booster as, as soon as possible. And immune compromise, very important. And then, absolutely right. Let's talk about the fourth wave. You know, it always sits there in our peripheral vision, and we worry about uh, what will set it off, when will it happen, how bad will it be. What are your What are your thoughts on this? So, so without, you know, we also, we don't have those crystal balls in front of us and we can't predict these things. But if you follow the worldwide trends and you follow the trends that we've seen over the last 20 months, there's going to be a fourth wave. We can't prevent it. And I'm sure there'll be a fifth wave, et cetera, et cetera. But hopefully by then the vaccination rates will be much higher and it won't be an issue. And hope it'll be almost like an endemic infection like influenza at that time. The point of the fourth wave, which we expecting maybe December, maybe end of November, is that it's dependent on the evolution of new variants that are relatively resistant to immunity-induced post-infection or past infection, as well as vaccine-induced immunity. 
So it's about whether or not the resurgent will overwhelm healthcare facilities. Now, take a step back and look at where we are now. We're in a far better position than we were six months ago or 12 months ago, due to the fact that a large amount of people have had severe infections in this country, and there is a large amount of immunity, as well as a large percentage of people are starting to get vaccinated. And if they can push the vaccinations and push more of the population to get vaccinated, there will hopefully not be an overwhelming oversurgence and critical stress on the hospitals and the healthcare workers over the next period. And hopefully the fourth wave won't be as dramatic. However, what we've seen from overseas, from the United States and all other countries, is that the people who are suffering the most throughout these waves are the unvaccinated. Yeah. Do we, you know, does it require something like a rage to set off a fourth wave, or is it really about simply about a new variant and will happen whether we have a rage type of event or not? Well, it's generally a super spreading event that catalyzes the event. So whether it's going to be a rage or it's going to be some other large super spreading event, maybe even elections, it might come sooner than we think. Mm, I mean, when mm. you look at the fact that they're going to be thousands of people going to election rallies and going to election parties, it's a very big worry because most people don't wear masks at these meetings. They're all coupling together and they're all on top of each other. So that could be the catalyst or that could be the super spreading event and that could cause it. So there might be a new variant. I mean, there's still talk about the C12 variant. There's still talk about the Mu variant. There's all these other variants. There are variants of interest. They're not variants of concern at the moment, but that's how the virus mutates and evolves new mutations do come about we're hoping with with the vaccines and hopefully with the boosters it will prevent a major resurgence and we can hopefully be on top of it from that point of view mm -hmm. what happens if it, and there's so many discussions around this and companies are trying to deal with this if somebody decides not to get vaccinated churches synagogues mosques uh, can they should they be saying to people if you aren't vaccinated please don't come to services. You, you can't work in our company. Somebody told me about uh, somebody who works within their home, a, a domestic worker who doesn't want to be vaccinated. These, these, this is now going to become a bit of a reality of, of what we're dealing with. How would you, rec well, before we even go there, what difference does it make if I'm vaccinated and somebody who I work with isn't vaccinated? So, so there, there's, that's a twofold question. And I first think that I think it should be mandatory that healthcare workers, teachers, universities, large companies enforce vaccination for all of their employees. This is the way going forward. This is the only way we'll be able to treat that. In fact, some of the large hospital chains have come out and put out messages that they are going to enforce vaccination for all of their staff at the hospital. Okay. Right. It's important. It's necessary. Okay. Now, the question about the fact that let's say that if you're not vaccinated and I'm vaccinated, what's the risk that I'm vaccinated is not a problem. What people don't realize is that the unvaccinated person poses a material risk on the vaccinated person, especially if that person has got a chronic disease or they're susceptible to infection. Their immunity is going to be low despite having had the vaccine and they've got a high propensity to be able to picking up the infection. So you can still infect me and I can still get a severe infection despite being vaccinated if I'm immune compromised or I've got severe disease. And the same way we enforce mask wearing, and we wear masks not to protect ourselves, but to protect other people. 
vaccinations are there to protect other people. So if you're unvaccinated, you pose a threat to other people. It's dangerous, it's negligent, and we shouldn't have to tolerate it. So if somebody decides that they aren't going to vaccinate for whatever reason, uh, in your view, should they be precluded from going to a synagogue or, or a church service? Yes, yes, I do believe so. Because you're posing a risk to other people that have chosen to look after their safety and their security. So I do believe it's more than an ethical debate. I believe it's a safety and security debate. I believe that it's something that needs to be taken to task by the government protecting the country. Okay, taking a look, uh, taking a look at some of the other questions, and we have answered a lot of them, but uh, just to go through some of them. The, uh, okay, the boosters jabs we've gone through, um, the antiviral medication, that's the one that you've, uh, that you've Molly, spoken Molly about. Pivera, yeah. Right. And how long will that normally take to reach South Africa? Let's assume the FDA approves <laughs> it. Months, still months, because we, we know we lower down on the feeding chain, but it hasn't been approved yet. It's still got to go through other phase trials. They might get emergency use authorization for it. But as I say, once again, you know, we all fell into this trap when uh, Tamiflu came out. I saw Tamiflu that it was the golden chalice of medication for influenza. And although there is a benefit to it, it doesn't cure or stop the actual influenza itself. So, you know, we've got to be very wary of these studies and we've got to watch after them. We've got to see if they're peer reviewed. We've got to make sure that the scientific findings behind them are concrete. All right. And interesting, Ryan wants to know, <laughs> In terms of, of treating or not treating non-vaccinated people, do you think that, and he says, you know, there are a couple of, of incidents around the world, certainly we, we haven't seen it here, and I doubt we ever will, but could it ever be a, a reach a stage where doctors say, you know what, you haven't been vaccinated, uh, we, just, we just can't treat you or we're not going to treat you? So let me flip the coin to you. If you have a murderer that's injured in, in prison, mm. would you say that you shouldn't treat that person if they're injured or they're sick? And the answer is you have to. You've got an of ethical course. right to treat every single person. I cannot make the decision not to treat somebody because they're negligent or stupid. That's not my decision. I'm there well, to treat I, I would go further because despite their stupidity. You, you're a pulmonologist. You you treat people who have smoked their entire lives. 100%. Uh, you, you know. I, I would not say to somebody, I'm not going to treat you because you're smoking. Right. Although we'd love them to stop smoking. We know that it benefits them dramatically. But the point of the matter is you cannot refuse to treat somebody because they're not vaccinated, but you can really, really make them feel foolish because... <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, because those All are the choices. Right. Yeah. I, I hate to ask a question, but any developments on ivermectin? Abahu? Yeah, it, we, it, it was some podcast today. That's where it is, Abahu. That's all it is. There's more and more is studies coming out refuting the, actual, refuting the actual work of ivermectin. It's a load of absolute rubbish. It does not work. It has not shown any benefit. All these trials and all these studies that have come out have been refuted by the major journals and have been shown to be false or to be preconceived, there's no benefit at all with ivermectin. Stay away. Okay. Don't fall into that trap. 
we've we've moved to to lockdown level one. That means I don't know. I think we can have two and a half thousand people in our garden if we choose to have them. Uh, we can have seven hundred and fifty people over for dinner. But uh, the you, what what was your response? What is your response to that? Is this are, are we are we doing the right thing? Opening up at this stage and uh, the, the further question I want to ask is many countries don't demand that people who have been vaccinated at a stage like this wear masks outdoors should we be can we consider that soon so that's also quite a, a double-edged question because there's a lot of aspects to that so first okay. of all we're I'm in, a, we're in mm -hmm. a, a stage where we need to get back into some sort of normality and some type of life and now is the time because mm. now the numbers are low. There were 1,300 cases of so 4%. It's less than the 5% that the World Health Organization are mandating for safety. So now it's a time to, to go out there, but be safe. You still got to wear your masks. And why have you got to still wear your masks? Because the majority of the country is not vaccinated. Until right. we get a higher amount of people vaccinated, it's not safe not to wear your masks. You have to wear your masks in order to protect yourself and to protect other people around you. Until we have this vaccination program full and running, until we're getting 200,000 people vaccinated a day, and hopefully that will go from strength to strength over the next few weeks, then we can't take the chance of, of taking our masks off. And we saw that happening in Israel, where all the people went to functions, they took their masks off, all the school kids took their masks off, and they all got infections. However, when you look at a country like the United Kingdom, where their vaccination rates are sky high, and they are vaccinating continuously the whole time, people are now going to sports events. People are living normal lives. And yes, they are getting infections, but the infections aren't severe. The infections aren't critical. They aren't landing up in hospital. They're mild to moderate infections that don't necessitate people to be hospitalized. So we can do it and we can get there, but we've got to push vaccination. It doesn't just help to push vaccination in our own community. We've got to expand it throughout the whole country. That said, if I do decide to have people over in my garden and everybody is vaccinated of that crew, and I happen to, you know, we know that everybody is vaccinated, would you still say that we need to wear masks? I think you've got to be very careful because the, the biggest time for transmission of the virus is from your saliva, from when you're eating, when you're mm. speaking and eating, and that's when you're not wearing I'm masks. I'm going to lick my so guest. It, well, I've heard stories about you, so let's let's not put that on this podcast. That fair enough, fair enough. That's, that's but another discussion for another day. Oh. The point is, I would still have people outside, socially distanced at separate tables. You don't have to wear masks, but when people get up from the table, put your masks on. Even right. if you're all okay. vaccinated at this point in time, until we get a high percentage of vaccinated people, then it will become safer. And we do know that vaccinated people can transmit COVID. Is that to the same extent, lesser extent? We do know that vaccinated people can transmit COVID. We believe that after the booster, there's a lesser chance, a smaller chance of okay. transmission, but we still believe there is transmission. And I'm still saying that we still do need boosters. All right, fine. Absolutely right. I think you've been perfectly clear on that. Besides the weather and the fact that our numbers are low and the fact that yeah, it's, it's very, very much summer. Is there other good news? So there's great news. Um, a friend of ours is doing a 100-kilometer run today for the Malka Elephant. Good luck to sell on Carlberg. We're behind you all the way. You can do it, and we're very proud of you. It's my son's birthday today, Jonathan. Wishing you a happy eighth birthday, my boy. Hope you have a great day. 
and a happy 13th birthday to my daughter Dahlia for yesterday. Jeez. And then, of course, the numbers are coming down. Globally, numbers are coming down. Vaccinations are going ahead. We've got through the holidays. We're now entering the fourth school term. We've got to be safe. We've got to keep it going. And of course, more important than any of this is that Liverpool are firing at the moment in all cylinders without warriors of any other Merseyside villas or any young boys on our heels. And Jurgen Klopp came out with a statement saying people should get vaccinated against coronavirus for the same reason you should not drink and drive. He further said that 99% of his squad are fully vaccinated. Wow. And to quote, stay away from negative people. They have a problem to every solution. Have a good week, be safe, and enjoy the summer days. Absolutely right. Dr. Anton Marburg, thank you. As always, great to have you back. I'm Howard Feldman. This has been the Sunday Synthesis Podcast with me, Howard Feldman, and of course, Dr. Anton Marburg. Keep sending your questions in. Subscribe to the link below to our YouTube channel so that you can be updated when we get more information. Have a fantastic week and God bless.